This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot, providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft, such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, a Centurion pilot ices up over the mountains at 10,000 feet and hears two voices in his head. Find out which one he listened to in Dancing with the Ice Devil by Joe Brink. October 8, 1987. I was a 31-year-old mechanical engineer and CEO of my own industrial equipment manufacturing company. I had logged 571 total hours and 110 in my Cessna 210. I had flown from my base at Cincinnati West Airport in Harrison, Ohio, to Martin State Airport just east of Baltimore, Maryland, to start up a process heater at McCormick & Company's Research and Development Center. Three days later, startup complete and customer happy, I was anxious to return home to my wife and three children. The morning dawned clear, the weather report was for a smooth ride, but with cloud cover beginning west of Baltimore, extending to mid-Ohio with the possibility of ice. As was the practice in pre-internet days, my weather briefing was by phone with the requisite struggle, usually only partially successfully, to piece together a picture of the en route weather. An IFR flight plan was filed for 10,000 feet. November 4930 uniform was a 1965 C210E. I love the throaty roar of her IO520 engine. After a decade of fixed gear flying, the act of raising and lowering the landing gear made it seem like I was finally flying a real airplane. By today's standard, she was poorly outfitted. No autopilot, no de-ice, save the pitot tube heater. 2KX155 Navcoms, a vacuum horizon and directional gyro, and not much else. But, like all 210s, the airplane was a rock-solid IFR platform with good speed, long legs, and huge hauling capacity, and I loved her. Climbing out from Martin State was into what was now a partly cloudy sky. ATC vectors soon brought me west of BWI and a clearance to the cruising altitude of 10,000 feet. 
Further west, the cloud cover gathered until it was solid IFR. Then, a problem. Light ice build up on the windshield and on the wing struts. Being inexperienced with ice, I decided it was of really no concern and happily cruised along, concentrating on flying the Victor Airways and holding altitude. What a great job I was doing, especially on holding altitude. It was steady as she goes, didn't vary by 20 feet. In fact, it didn't vary at all. Immersed in self-congratulations on my excellent flying skills, I hadn't noticed the thick ice build up on the windshield and struts. Reality hit when airspeed began to decay and the engine began to vibrate. The ice-coated prop was visible through a small clear spot above the defroster vent on the windshield. Cycling the prop didn't help. The engine vibration became so violent I was forced to throttle back for the fear of shaking the engine loose from the airframe. This lessened the vibration, but increased the angle of attack. As airspeed decayed, thoughts of stalling a heavily laden, now slow and underpowered airplane in IMC suddenly sprang to mind. Many radio calls to ATC were made, but to no avail. I was very alone and in a very bad situation over the Appalachian Mountains. As the airplane slowed and the controls got mushier, it became clear that the altimeter might be lying. It hadn't budged from 10,000 feet. The airspeed indicator was no longer moving, but was stock still at the bottom of the green arc. Since the pitot heat worked at pre-flight, the static ports must be iced, but there was no alternate static source installed. Fortunately, in my haste to depart, I had not stowed the throttle lock, but had simply laid it on the co-pilot's seat. Taking the heavy lock in hand, I carefully smashed the glass cover on the vertical speed indicator. Immediately, the altimeter began to unwind fast, very fast, like the old cartoons of crashing airplanes. It stopped spinning at 3,400 feet. A few more desperate calls to ATC went unanswered. Climbing was impossible. Just holding altitude at that low power setting was a challenge. It was then that I heard a voice. Not over the radio, but rather inside my head. The voice clearly said, You're going to die. Go ahead and panic. I angrily shouted, No. And a moment later, I heard a second voice. Fly the airplane. You'll be all right. Staying on the gauges and increasing power slightly produced a bone-rattling vibration and a slow climb of about 100 feet per minute. After what seemed an eternity of teetering on the edge of a stall while slowly climbing, I broke out between layers at 6,000 feet over Parkersburg, West Virginia. Sublimation soon began, and as the ice cleared, the prop vibration ebbed enough to begin easing in the throttle, eventually to high cruise. The airspeed increased, the windshield and struts cleared up, and soon I was sailing along between layers at 165 knots. I had neglected to reset the transponder to 7600, indicating radio failure. But after the longest hour of my life and without radio contact, ATC had not missed me. At least no one seemed surprised when I checked in 100 miles west of my last contact and at 6,000 feet instead of 10,000. The weather at home was partly cloudy with unlimited visibility and high ceilings. 
The visual approach was selected, and when the wheel squeaked onto the runway 36 at I-67, I heaved a sigh of relief and offered a prayer of thanksgiving. Before the next flight, the VSI glass was replaced and an alternate static source installed. As for the two voices I heard in my head, I preferred to think it was my guardian angel who told me to fly the airplane and everything would be okay. I suspect that the other voice came from a realm other than heaven. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.